Welcome to the How We Teach podcast, where we have conversations that matter to educators. I'm Amanda Watson, your host. Today we will address the practice of streaming, which is the division of students into pathways based on perceived academic abilities. Here in Ontario, we are preparing to usher in the first core high school course that is de-streamed, and we're starting with grade nine mathematics. There is some reservation to be sure among teachers, students, and caregivers, but as the research continues to provide us with data that clearly delineates the damage streaming does to our students, especially our marginalized students, we know we need to move forward away from streamed programs. Here are a couple of statistics for our province. In the period from 2015 to 2019, for the provincial literacy test that students write in grade 10, 92% of students in the academic pathway were successful compared to only 44% of students in the applied pathway. Similarly, 93% of Toronto District School Board students who studied at the academic level graduated in five years versus only 68.5 for the applied learners. And the trend is just as strong for items like suspension rates and post-secondary attendance. These aren't gaps, they're chasms. We know we need to move away from streaming because quite simply, it's an issue of equity. And that said, here we are in the middle of June and the new Ontario curriculum has still not been released for the de-streamed grade nine math course. This curriculum needs to be up and running in classrooms for September and we want to get it right. So how can teachers prepare to make sure this transition is positive and successful for everyone? How can we work through the challenges together? And we know we need to work inclusively and together on this one. Our educators, our students, our government, our communities, and our caregivers all need to be involved in this conversation. We need all voices and perspectives if we are going to move forward together. And at times, this will mean just listening, because a shared vision is a successful vision. Our guest today is Jason Toe, an educator with the Toronto District School Board. He works with boards across the province to help them get ready for this monumental shift in education. If you haven't already visited Jason's blog called I Think Out Loud, I highly recommend it. It's rich and engaging, and I'm learning so much by reading the entries. Jason writes about education with an open honesty and experience that inspires rethinking, reflection, and ultimately, action. Welcome. It's lovely to have you here on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Amanda. And I do appreciate you taking the time with us today. I know how busy you've been supporting the transition to de-streamed grade nine math around the province in addition to your coordinator role. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, anytime. Like, yeah, just happy to help and share and spread the good word of de-streaming. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Um, so I'll just give our listeners uh, a snapshot of your bio here. So you are a mathematics teacher who has primarily taught in the Northwest area of Toronto, and you are currently serving as coordinator of secondary math and academic pathways for the Toronto District School Board. You are the co-author of Addressing Anti-Asian Racism, a Resource for Educators, and you are a member of the Coalition for Alternatives to Streaming and Education. And you view math education in particular through a lens of equity, inclusion, and anti-oppression. What would you like to share with us about your experience as an educator and your journey as a de-streaming advocate? So it really began for me 
as uh, you know, at, at a very kind of pivotal moment in my you know career where I was working in the Northwest and uh, serving students, um, you know, from a uh, lower income, you know, a racialized community, um, but but you know, so vibrant and uh, brilliant people. And um, I just never realized that I was part of this machine, this system that was really in how it was how it was created and, and and the policies and the practices that are part of it was actually harming students. And then so for me, um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be part of a professional learning uh, series put on by our equity department in the Toronto District School Board at the time. And when the data was shown to me around streaming, when there were anecdotes about how students were feeling and also about these other places where de-streaming was happening, I thought, wow, like I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I either could have just ignored it and pretend like it never happened um, and continue to do what I what I had already been doing, or I had to basically, um, you know, take responsibility for what I had done, but then think about moving forward. And then so from there, de-streaming my class or, or challenging streaming in my class, and then seeing the amazing things that were happening when these barriers were removed for students, that really got me to kind of where I am now, which is just running around and telling anybody and everybody that uh, <laughs> doesn't mind hearing from me what, uh, you know, what de-streaming is about, and especially in mathematics, that being, you know, the first thing that's really being formally de-streamed in Ontario. Right. Well, and it's so good to hear about your experience and um, the reflection part of your journey, because um, I feel like that is happening all over the province right now. We are doing some serious reflecting and um, realizing, and and uh, I mentioned the statistics in the intro, they are stark, and um, we need to move away from, from that. So um, I wanted to just give a, a little bit of a background um, of what's happening in Ontario right now. When we talk about de-streaming, uh, Ontario is a bit of an outlier in Canada when it comes to de-streaming um, with respect to how early we stream and the fact that all of our core courses are streamed. Um, so how did we arrive here um, with the beginning of de-streaming for grade nine now? Well, it really... So like you said, that Ontario is an outlier in terms of how early in, we stream and, and really how um, uh, how hard we stream uh, students uh, when they get into grade nine. And really what led to de-streaming um, you know, was really this uh, awakening of society, right, in terms of what... Um, you know, what uh, systemic racism is and, uh, you know, and, and then everybody decided to kind of check their own environments around, well, okay, so how does racism and discrimination, uh, uh, like how, how is that taken up in like what I do in my work or what I do, you know, uh, you know, in other, in other circles and in education, I'm glad that our government listened to uh, advocates and, uh, you know, people that have been doing this work for a, a long time and, have and, and, and realized that streaming was, um, uh, you know, essentially a racist structure that was creating, um, you know, huge inequities 
for our black and indigenous students, but also, no, not just a, a race issue, but it was also, um, you know, dividing and marginalized to marginalizing students in terms of, uh, class, um, and, uh, in terms of, um, uh, special education needs. Right. So, so I'm glad that, you know, there was this, uh, you know, s- social movement that, um, really led to, uh, uh, you know, a reflection on everyone's part, and 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 then this part being uh, taken up by our by our school system. So it's it's really great, you know. But so much more needs to be done in terms of yes. its implementation, right? Like, uh, yeah. just getting everybody in one room and de-streaming is like once it's such a small piece of the puzzle. Uh, I'm glad people are, are jumped over that hurdle, but again, so much more needs to happen in our schools. Yes, it, it really is just an awakening and, and just the beginning. And I've been teaching for 20 years and I, I hear what you're saying about um, the structure um, perpetuating the inequity. And I know, I just remember being mad that you could tell which pathway a student was going to go in based almost what on what street they lived on, uh-huh. what neighborhood they lived in. And I was mad, but I didn't really, I had no idea what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Um so this is truly an awakening and we're so thankful uh, for this beginning. Um, I know that you will help us with some specific actions and strategies a little later on in the podcast, but what concerns do you generally feel around um, implementing this big change? I think that the biggest one is teachers, um, you know, through their goodwill and wanting to really support students, they, you know, teachers want to do the best job that they possibly can, right, for students, so mm-hmm. that when now all of a sudden, we're, we're changing how we're organizing and structuring students. And, uh, you know, what does this mean in terms of my effectiveness as a teacher? So, uh, you know, we have this, this idea that, you know, when we are streaming, that we are creating more homogenous groups that will help us as teachers, uh, you know, be more effective in, in terms of, you know, what, you know, how we spend our time and energy. Um, but of course, every classroom, like if, you know, if you're a teacher, every single classroom is actually not homogenous, like at all, right? Like <laughs> right. <laughs> classrooms are, no matter how you try to put, um, you know, how you try to organize students in, in, in ways that you think make sense, like there's just, just such a wide variability. And I think what people need to remember uh, and and uh, realize is, um, you know, we know how to service a, a wide range of learners. And, uh, and it's not, you know, teaching to the middle, and it's not teaching at the front of the class all the time. Um, so, you know, the all the work that we have always been doing in terms of uh, professional learning about how we teach better, it all aligns to uh, what we need to do in a de-stream class. So when people are like, well, what do I do? What do I do? It's almost like, you know what, just, it's almost like continue with the learning that you're already doing Mm -hmm. in your practice. And, uh, you know, you may need to pivot it a little bit towards more, um, inclusionary or more like equitable and anti-racist, anti-oppressive like lenses that you got to apply to it. But generally speaking, if you're uh, a learner, as a, as a professional educator, then like, I'd say that you probably don't have all that much to worry about if you're in that stance, right. That, um, that, you know, if you're always focusing on what can I do to service my students better, I think you're going to be just fine. Right. And I think as a learner, um, 
one of our best partners is, is the students themselves. Yes. They'll let us know what they need and we just need to talk to them, I think, and, and find out about their interests, their experiences and how they would like to see themselves reflected in the learning and just open that conversation and partnership with them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, a lot of people uh, see the work of de-streaming as hard work. And it absolutely is because it's not a recipe that we can give to someone. It's not a binder or a book. Yeah. It's about responding to your students that are in front of you, learning about them and then catering the learning as best as you can to, uh, to meet their needs. Right. And so I think people, uh, you know, we all need to wrestle with this discomfort of like, not exactly knowing what we're going to getting, what we're getting ourselves into, but that's, that's the name of the game, right? If, if you yeah. know, if, if we're in that, that idea that I just need to respond and, and you, and you have the tools, you know, enough tools in your toolkit, uh, to, to meet their needs, that's, that's the approach. And that's the mindset. It's like, be be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. And I think part of that too is what we were talking about for is just being reflective. I'm trying this. I'm trying to meet their needs. Is it working? Is this really benefiting the students and is it making a difference for them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so what role do you, do you find that the students and caregivers and community uh, voice plays um, with respect to I guess both streaming and de-streaming, um, where is that voice in, in all of this? So, uh, in, uh, you know, research from social planning Toronto, uh, you know, they did a study around, uh, you know, what, uh, what are the processes where, you know, kids in grade eight are, are, are going through to get into grade nine. And they're finding that really, um, there's not a whole lot of information that, uh, students are, are really getting to have to make an informed decision about grade nine. And that and that's true of, of their families as well. Right? right. I mean, there are different families that have uh, more understanding about the school system than others. Right. And, um, you know, we, we know that um, many communities, particularly ones that are from uh, in more marginalized areas, uh, have been calling for de-streaming for a very long time. Right, um, uh, our Black and Indigenous communities have been asking for ways to remove structures that you know they they can feel right that are impeding progress for their children. Uh, so when we uh, in in Toronto, when we were moving towards de-streaming, you know, we were uh, being celebrated in in some of these communities that were like re- you know they realized, oh, thank you, you know, like this is what this is a barrier that we have been calling to end, you know, for a very very long time, uh, you know, in other pockets of the city, maybe not so much, you know, but that's that's when you know you're doing kind of equity work, right? When there are um, you know when you're starting to get a little bit of pushback from uh, you know, communities that have actually been, uh, privileged by streaming, right? Like we know that there are like what these structures, they, they benefit some Mm -hmm. and they hurt others. And so we're just trying to correct, uh, you know, this, this, you know, this injustice really, that has really taken place. Um, and, and, uh, really just leveling the playing field, right? Because that's really what, that's really what schooling is about, right? And I think every I think every teacher goes in wanting to make a difference, and uh, you know, teachers in the classroom have control over that. But we also know that we're uh, we're bigger play. We're, sorry, we're we're players in a bigger machine, and that's what this is about. Is you know, you can't you as a teacher can really only do so much if this if the system that you're in is like tilted 
against certain people. So I, I really hope that uh, when when educators start to learn more about why we're moving towards de-streaming, that they can really start to get behind it and and um, and see what their role is. Um, you know, in the in the bigger machine, because we're, all, you know, teachers are the ones that are at the forefront of this, right? It, it, it starts and stops with them. Uh, so, but I have faith, I have faith that uh, our, our educator partners everywhere are going to do a fantastic job. Well, that's inspiring. And I know you've been speaking to so many uh, uh, partners across the province and within your own district as well. Um, so I know that this can be uh a, a sort of lower stress transition when when you said before we can just do what we're doing but just be mindful be reflective partner with the students but uh, um, on the other hand it does mark such a big shift away from the dinosaur of you know streaming and and the bias and the the prejudice um, and and towards something um, that requires learning and and thinking and reflection and collaboration um, do you just where do you see the importance of things like funding for training um, and making the time and space for this so that we really do get it right? Uh, that's crucial. Um, I think the biggest the biggest thing is that every teacher needs to learn. And many of us already do. And it's just about getting everybody on board with the focus of, of uh, providing, uh, you know, differentiated learning um, more inclusive practices, looking at culturally responsive teaching. Um, and, and it doesn't matter whether you're in kindergarten or whether you're in grade 12, because, you know, uh, we haven't talked about this yet, but I mean, streaming happens as early as kindergarten, right? So we need to have every single educator find their place, right? In this, in this transformation, uh, and, and be reflective of, okay, so in my practice, in the room that I'm in, you know, what are the things that, that are, you know, happening here that are unintentionally um, impeding students' learning? And what are the things, so then in turn, what can I do to, to change that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, yep, um, collaboration, we know, is going to uh, really make sure that uh, teachers don't feel like they're alone and they're not supported in this process. Because we know that in the 90s, right, when we had de-streaming happen at that point, which mm-hmm. for many people was a very negative experience, yeah, it, it really boiled down to um, a lack of support, a lack of guidance, um, a lack of resources, funding, you know. So, so um, having people work together, whether it's just dividing up work or whether it's really co-learning together, mm-hmm. um, that's going to really be uh, a, an integral part. So you're right. Like, so where's the money going to come from? And, and so I would hope that schools and school boards and the ministry would provide uh, or, or, or um, prioritize that kind of work. Um, we know that in, in math, you know, there's a separate pot of ministry math strategy money. Um, and there's lots of uh, funds there to provide professional learning um, release time. So something similar to that somewhere, some way um, needs to be done to support, um, you know, other educators and in other subject areas, because we know that this is going to happen elsewhere. So let's start the thinking about it now before you, um, you know, get a curriculum right. dropped on you in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, Right. So yes, making that time and space for the the collaboration, and I, that's so interesting. What you mentioned about how de-streaming happens before grade nine, it happens in kindergarten. And do you mean um, 
like sometimes we unintentionally set different standards for different students, something like that? Yeah. So um, implicit bias is a real beast, you know, and uh, in our data in the Toronto District School Board, you know, we see that, you know, the second that a, a young person steps foot in our system, that there are different, that there are different experiences that they that that you know racialized uh children may have compared to non-racialized children so uh you know it's not just about the hard streaming structures that exist right it's also these these soft streaming things that happen uh how we're organizing students even within our own classroom right like who's getting opportunities to learn and to participate and speak up and who is not and uh whose behavior are we seeing uh, as being, you know, ones that are appropriate in a school and which ones are not, right? And those are sometimes tinged with bias. So there's okay. there's tons of things going on the second that uh, a student enters um, a kindergarten classroom that really sets them along a trajectory of, of perhaps, um, you know, not accessing the best uh, learning um, uh, experiences and, and opportunities. So yeah, it starts right. it starts right from right from the get go. Wow, and that's a conversation that um, I'm glad is 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 coming to the surface, and um, that continuum of bias that starts right from the very beginning. Um, and I, I think that's such a um, an important part of when we talk about continuum. We're usually talking about continuum of curriculum expectations, um, but even in the sense of collaboration, um, bringing that awareness from K to twelve. Um, and when we're talking about things like de-streaming, um, it, it just sort of segues into the idea of um, another kind of continuum where we're looking to our um, K to eight, we call them friends, our seven, eight friends mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for that support as well, because they um, do see more variability in their classes and and program for the the students in front of them. They're, they're much more... Um, adapt with it than secondary because we are used to the streaming. So where do you see that role of, of collaboration um, from K to 12 with this implementation? I, I think that it's um, everybody being on the same page in terms of what matters in terms of, uh, you know, the approaches that we have. So things like universal design for learning, things like differentiated instruction, those are, that's, that's language that every, um, every educator needs to be aware of, right? And it, of course, it looks different in a kindergarten, you know, play-based environment than a, you know, a grade 12, you know, English class, let's say. Yeah. But, um, you know, we should, we should be able to, as, as, as a high school teacher, walk into a kindergarten space and be like, that's what DI looks like. And then a kindergarten teacher should be able to go into a, a high school class and be like, oh, okay, I see elements of what I do into what yeah. you're trying to do as well. So um, having having common learning experiences, you know, especially in that transition stage of you know grade six, seven, eight, and and then to nine and ten, um, mm-hmm. would be really valuable. So that um, uh, like we 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 know that structures that exist in elementary classrooms like small group instruction don't don't always carry over into a high school space and so what can you know how can we um support the transition uh, and change you know let me i'll sidetrack for a second you know mm-hmm. there, there's always conversations around supporting student transitions from like let's say grade eight to grade nine if, if your schools are um, organized like that um and it's about uh, so much of it is conversations around like what the student uh, has to do to, you know, change, but it's really about our schools and our classrooms and our environments and more need to change in response to, to students. Right. So, um, 
you know, th- then if, if we all have similar tools or strategies in grade seven and eight, let's say into nine and 10, yeah. then we're much more uh, able to adapt. So absolutely, like the, the learning and the focus for learning and the, and the improvement efforts that every school and every then in that case, every educator has to deal with and, and work towards um, should be common and you should have, uh, yeah, similar language so that we all know what we're all talking about. Right. And um, there, it's just becoming, um, just becoming, uh, I'm becoming aware of how unnecessary it is to create a shock situation for kids when they transition from grade eight to grade nine that, you know, they go from, I have to do a shout out to my friend who's a grade eight teacher, Kelsey White, and, and she just said everything that I feel needs to shift up to high school. She said, you know, we can't plan for our kids until they're in front of us. We, we need to get to know them and we need to get to know their, their language skills and their numeracy skills. And, um, moving away from that one size fits all delivery that we often see in secondary and towards like, as you were saying that the universal universally designed learning, um, approach. And I'm, I'm so with you on that. We all need to get grounded in that language and, and in that pedagogy um, so that we are meeting the needs of all learners, no matter what variability um, we, we have in the classes. Um, so um, how do you see the, the sort of the UDL? And I, I know the thinking classroom is a great one for math. How, how do you see that becoming a, a ubiquitous language across the province for teachers? I think that, you know, I work in a school board with like over 100 schools, uh, high schools, right? And and we have almost, you know, we have 580 schools altogether, right? Give or take a few. And, you know, I I, I feel like the, the only thing that can be ubiquitous are these overarching principles, which is, again, like differentiating instruction, universal design for learning, culturally responsive pedagogy. We're also looking at um, uh, culturally safe uh practices like through a trauma-informed um, perspective uh, okay. for, you know, through an indigenous lens, like that's a yeah. promising practice. And that's learning for me that I need to uh, engage more in, you know, but, but how teachers implement those approaches is going to be so varied. And um, as a, as an instructional coach a few years ago, um, you know, when I was in the early stages of, um, you know, trying to uh, support other colleagues with challenging streaming. A mistake that I was making was expecting everybody to do the same thing. Was that, you know what? I know what de-streaming is. This is what needs to happen and you got to do this. And then of course, you know, if everybody is told that they got to do something, they typically don't do it, right? (laughs) I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, I was a little bit more nuanced than that, but it was, it was, it was along that vein that, um, you know, people need to see a, res- a solution that makes sense to them, not just along the lines of being more inclusive and de-streaming, mm-hmm. but also something that meets their their local context, right? Because so many, like schools are different, yep. communities are different, um, teachers are different, students are like, every, like the buildings are different. So, so many things factor into what, um, uh, you know, people find important and relevant. So for me, it's like we, we have these guiding principles and uh you know but how you see yourself in that that's up to you but we should be able to understand like how you're 
differentiating or how you're being culturally responsive right. when we're, you know, when we're talking about what practices that you're, you're trying. So, you know, as, as great as, you know, having every school be uh, or in every math classroom and be a thinking classroom, let's mm -hmm. say, you know, I just know that in reality, that's, that's not necessarily going to be uh, the case, but, you know, having, having great conversations around assessment and maybe like, how do you differentiate assessment or what are the different ways you provide choice in assessment? That's a great way to also start thinking about de-streaming as well. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that as long as people understand that, we're, we're trying to open up learning and, and have the learning be more reflective of yeah. students, then, um, you know, that's the com that's all the common language I want. But for, you know, so as a, as a classroom teacher in school X, I want you to choose what you want to do because just like how we want multiple entry points for students yes. in a question, we, we have multiple entry points for staff. And I think that's, that's gotta be okay. Wow. That's, that's such, um, such good learning for us. And I'm, I'm learning with those as well. And, um, that's such a great, great way to frame the, um, the starting point for teachers. And I, I just love the parallels of how students learn, how teachers learn, there's variability. And, um, you remind me when you talk about the principles of, of those, those, just those four, um, guidelines you mentioned, the UDL, the thinking classroom, culturally responsive pedagogy and culturally safe, um, pedagogy, those could be the the firm goals or the firm principles, and we've got flexible means of reaching them. So as you said, it, each teacher will sort of take their own path, but we can still see the connection um, between what they're doing in the classroom and that guiding principle. Absolutely. Yep. So the, again, it's, uh, we have a common framework, but it's, but it's customizable so that uh, it meets, you know, so it's, it's, it's the, uh, it's not top down, but it's also not bottom up, right? It's not like, uh, you can do whatever the heck you want to do. <laughs> like, what, what would happen if we put, uh, you know, smart boards in every classroom, right? Like, no, that's not, a, <laughs> right. that, that, that doesn't make sense. Nope. Um, so then, so it's that kind of middle ground, right, that we want right. people to. So that's, that's, that's the approach, I hope, um, you know, all school boards start to think about. Right. And that's so helpful. That really does um, provide a, a, a solid foundation um, to step from. And thank you for bringing up the assessment piece as well, because that's just so important when we're talking about meeting the needs of all learners. And um, I wanted to ask you how you see maybe um, or do you see an opportunity in de-streaming to really embrace um, the growing success document with respect to um, making sure that the primary purpose of assessment is to improve student learning. Oh, for sure. Um, it's, it's so funny. I was talking to someone today, how, um, like every time we bring out growing success, it's like, there's something new that, that people are, are learning about, right. Even though it's a, uh, however old, uh, resource <laughs> it is, right. 2010. <laughs> yeah. So it's been around a while. Right. Um, so we've we've really pushed in our board the idea of triangulating assessment which is again not necessarily a new um, idea but when we're trying to meet the needs of a varied range of learners 
that you can't have a com you can't necessarily have a common assessment let's say or common ways of assessing for everybody and 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 that um you know providing providing just in time feedback is going to be different for different people and you have to be flexible as a teacher around how you do that but um, a lot of a lot of our teachers are concerned uh, or are trying to wrap their head around. Well, what does assessment of learning look like, right? And that, and you know what, that's fine. If people want to start from there, that's fine. Let's talk about that. Um, uh, for for us, when we're looking at differentiating assessment and providing choice, um, you know, one one way that some of our folks in in our school board are are talking about, like, how do you open up like a math test, for instance? So, if people still want to make uh, make math tests, you know what? Fine. Like, there's a there's a time and a place for that too. So, but 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 then, okay. So then, how do we how do we open that up so that it's more accessible to people? Right. Yeah. And then, you know, like, how do you provide choice within a math test? You know, like, do, uh, how do you how do you judge things accordingly, depending on, let's say, a varied uh, a, a question, questions of varied complexity, for instance. So. Right. Um, yeah. So. So, um, you know, we start from there. If that's from a place of of, of student need and, and teacher need and teacher curiosity, um uh, you know, looking at the achievement chart too is also yep. a really important thing that we've been mentioning. So a level three is our provincial standard, which talks about, I believe the qualifier is considerable understanding, right? Yes. Um, and, you know, for us as math, as math teachers, I'll speak for myself as a math teacher, is that sometimes I, I worry that as as math, as secondary math teachers, um, we've all generally been pretty good at math. Right. And um, so we value math a lot um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes, you know, what we perceive as being adequate in order to move to the next course, for instance, might be a little bit might be oppressive in terms of how just how difficult or what kind of a bar you're you're you're, you're setting for students un un unintentionally, maybe yeah. uh, because of, of, of how you value it. So. I mentioned level three as being considerable, like a level two is some understanding, yeah. right? So some, yeah. like, let's say like some understanding should get you a 60 to a 69% on your, yes. on your, so then you can actually yes. get the credit by, by, by knowing less than some, right? Understanding, right? A limited right. amount of limited, understanding, yeah. limited, right? So if, <laughs> uh, and, and I, you know, if, if I told anybody that you have a limited understanding of being a teacher, Right. That's a that's a pretty offensive thing. People would be like, well, what are you talking about? Right. But that kind <laughs> of like but that feeling is 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 what uh, you should be comfortable when in providing the credit for someone and allowing them to move on in their educational journey. Right. Not everybody yes. is you know, like we want students to um, uh, in in de streaming to be in the best learning environment possible, and um, you know if they're getting a level one in grade nine, you know what that's 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 okay. That might be a a huge growth for them um, when they might have not been successful in a streamed environment, let's say. And not every student's um, uh, progression along mathematics classes is is uh, is pr is predicted on what happened before. So, uh, you know, if you get a 50 in grade nine, that doesn't doom you to fail in grade 10. You know, I've seen stories, you know, if you have a grade 10 teacher that is fantastic at providing rich learning that they can, they, yeah. their leaps and bounds can, can, of growth can happen. So, 
um, you know, we, we, there's a fear of, um, not preparing students for the next grade. Yes. And that's not, that's not, that's, that's not the learning goal, right? Or that's not the purpose. It's like, did you hit the expectation right now? That's all we need to look at. Yes. Um, and, and have faith in our young people that they're going to grow and learn and, um, and, and, and adjust. Yes. And, um, maybe uh, switch the focus to the asset-based demonstration of learning. Well, what do you know? And let's focus on that and let's grow that. Um, Yeah. So much, no, like so much of, of uh, like when you, just that tiny little flip, I'm glad you mentioned that just that (laughs) tiny little switch, right. To to looking for what students know, um, even if it's the same work, you're like that in itself provides, um, uh, you know, or, or sets up the educator to um, really get to see what students actually get. And, and yeah, like that, that mindset is huge. It's huge. Yeah. And that doesn't that change assessment so much when we're looking for what they do know. Um, and I, I, I know myself as an educator, I would need to take a hard look at what am I willing to accept as evidence? There's different forms. There's infinite ways that these kids can demonstrate their learning. And Um, When we go back to the, you know, the Victorian model of uh, one method and reproduce that that one method, please. And um, it works for some kids and not for others. Um, But when we switch it and flip it, as you said, to to the asset based, it just opens the doors for that, that flexibility of assessment and growing success has numerous and varied opportunities to demonstrate the learning. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do, what, like, how do we create the, the routines and the structures to allow that to happen? And, you know, I don't know if we're going to mention a little bit, you know, but spiraling uh, in mathematics, okay. right, is a, is a big yep. one. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a promising practice that we know has been happening in many parts of, of Ontario. Um, and, you know, uh, last year I was in a classroom and I was playing around with spiraling as well. And, and you know, I saw it as a, as a great way to um, provide a, a soft entry for, for grade nines, um, uh, into, um, you know, in our case, it was, a, it's academic math. You know, if you go through the curriculum at a surface level at the very beginning, and then, um, afterwards going through it again, but creating more connections and going deeper into the concepts, you know, th- that's, th- it, it, you know, and not only, um, creates a, like, again, a safer, environment for students, um, but also um, allows them to, when they revisit a concept, to be able to show their learning um, again and again and again. Um, So, and and we know that, you know, if you, if you space out the practice or if you space out the learning, it's better than teaching it in discrete units. Because I mean, how many times as a math teacher before when I was teaching in units that you teach something in Jan- uh, sorry in September and then in January they're like oh, yeah. I have never I've never seen this before I'm like yes yes you have <laughs> yeah. well and that and that in itself um, I I haven't taught math in about 15 years but I did do that horrible unit thing <laughs> where um, you know if you have a unit test on September 30th and and the the students are not quite ready to demonstrate their learning well too bad because we're moving yeah. on to algebra and geometry mm-hmm. for this unit and um, I'm glad you brought up the spiraling because um, I don't know a lot about it in math. Um, I'm typically an English teacher and we spiral just naturally in the humanities, but I've never heard spiraling explained like that. And that makes so much sense. And and uh, that's really, um, I love that as a starting point for um, aligning the yeah. assessment and providing the opportunities and 
allowing the kids to listen to your feedback um, and, and they get another chance to come back to it. It's it's just um, yeah, uh, it's a bit of a foreign concept for some math teachers because you know our, our textbooks that we have relied on mm-hmm. are are not organized like that. So and it's also probably not how we've been taught. And of course, you know, especially when you're entering the teaching profession, you're, you're you usually teach the way that you've been taught as a kid. So um, you know, it, it's it's going against. Uh, some of our, our natural instincts about, you know, as a, as a, as a math teacher, maybe, but, you know, so many people across the province have, have successfully implemented this. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, again, if that's your thing, if you see that as being really, uh, uh, you know, uh, a strategy that not only supports with inclusion, but meets, uh, your local like issues like that, that, that issue of retention, you know, if you see that and that's really bugging you, then, you know, go at it, like have fun, learn about spiraling, yeah. make it happen. Yeah. And, um, be re, re or, um, adjust to where your learners are at and, um, just be responsive to them. And, and, um, it means, you no, know, we might not be able to plan every second of every lesson, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll get there in the end. And, um, your ex- explanation of spiraling has has just made me think of the assessment too. And it's okay if um, student A's um, overall assessment page for that semester is a little bit different. It's not necessarily at the same time or the same exact assignment. Um, it's not kids down a list being compared with um, tests across the top that are averaged, that type of thing that we grew up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the idea, again, like that, um, not every student needs to do the same thing, because, you know, we're we're not in the business of sorting and ranking students. There's a really great video from uh, uh, York Region District School Board that they have like uh, the CRRP um, five and five series around, um, uh, you know, culturally responsive, uh, culturally relevant, responsive pedagogy. And they, they did one about assessment. And one of them is about, you know, this idea that um, if, if you if you're uh, focused on doing the same thing for everybody, it's because you want to compare students and we need to just, you know, that's not the point. Um, it's about gathering evidence, right, and providing the learning opportunities for students to improve. So I think, you know, it's just it's just reminding people, I think, of what what the mission of of teaching and learning is. And, uh, you know, if we get uh, sometimes if we get back to the core of that, about what you know, what brought us into this profession in the first place, you know, I think that that will, that will work for many people. Right. Um, and, uh, some of it, I'm sure some of it sounds scary. I mean, if I was still teaching math, I'd probably still be doing it with the units and this would be a big change, but, um, just coming back again to the, um, the collaboration piece, if we're doing this together and trying things together and, even acknowledging being honest with each other and our students, we're going to take a risk. We're going to try something new. It might be messy, <laughs> but we're going to learn from it guaranteed and, and we'll, we'll adjust and, and revise um, based on the results. So yeah. good modeling for students as well. Yeah. You know, and you know, the big, th- a, a huge thing that's different from de-streaming in the, in the early nineties and now is like the internet <laughs> and, and oh, being right. <laughs> able to connect with one another. Right. I, I can't imagine as a, as a teacher, what that would have been like, um, you know, uh, really relegated to like a small group of people within like your, your, your sphere, you know, but then now being able to, in a moment's notice, uh, you know, talk to somebody, uh, you know, on the other, the other side of, 
Ontario to get ideas and 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 to pool resources and and you know and um, you know really get get input from other people about like you know what are you doing you know like that's that's what's I think another aspect of this that makes me optimistic because that that collaborative um, environment that is so important is no longer limited to your 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 school you know it's like you can you, you're instantly um, connected to so many people so I think I think no as long as people have an open mind and an open heart and they reach out um, you know people are gonna be supported and I think we're gonna we're going to get through this together. Well, yes. get through it. Get through it is not the right way, but you know what I mean? It's like, we're going to do this Roll together. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to knock it out of the park. I hope. Yes. Well, I, I just, I love that point, Jason, about how, um, all the technology and resources we have to build this network of support. We don't have to do it alone. And, and, um, you know, we can problem solve together because, it's probably not going to be a hundred percent smooth <laughs> and it won't be right. Yeah. And, and people need to know that it's not going to go perfect and you've got to be okay with that. Like, um, uh, I, you know, like the idea of the implementation dip, something I talk about a lot is like, you know, like this is new. Um, it, it might not go great, uh, but learn from it and, and grow. And eventually you'll get to a point where you're going to feel comfortable. And I've talked to, um, teachers in my board recently and having the conversations that I've had over the course of three or four years, like I can't tell you how much and how proud I am of our teachers that at first were quite resistant to de-streaming and, um, and, and it's, and it's happening so much more now that the conversations are like, Oh, that wasn't so bad, you know? And, um, uh, and, and now we have people everywhere in our system, um, supporting this de-streaming movement uh, in their own ways. So, you know, for those that are are, are really passionate about de-streaming but are, are hitting resistance, I, you know, a little bit of, um, of advice that I would give is like have patience that the conversations that you're having with staff, the, you know, the, the, the tensions that, that are being created, um, you know, it's, it's going to bear fruit down the road at some point. Um, you know, I wish that someone told me that when I was, <laughs> when I was really frustrated, um, uh, years ago, but you know, I, I feel like we're, we're reaching, you know, the, 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 the end, you know, like the, the light has, you know, met the end of the tunnel at this point, you know, in terms of yeah. one area of, of this, of this work. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that we're seeing growth in our teachers, um, in this area. That's so inspiring to hear uh, the the growth that you've been able to track in your own board with your own colleagues. And um, I know you're working with um, our school board tomorrow, Hastings and Prince Edward, and you're going to meet some wonderful math teachers as well. And that's um, just so inspiring. I, I know that the growth is going to to happen and, and uh, um, it is exciting that we are, this journey's happening. It's in transit and um, it's nice that we can, look to other boards like your board um, and be inspired by the successes you're already having and, and sort of knowing, hey, we can do that too. And we have each other um, to make sure that happens. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to pretend like we have it all figured out either. You know, right. uh, we, we're uh, we're still figuring things out. Um, 
you know, ironing out details or, or even just still in the process in some places of like overhauling what needs to happen. You know, there, there's there's a continuum of success. Um, but I think as long as we are just working towards improvement and, and reflecting and planning and acting and going yes. through the process again, like, I think that's all that matters, right? Like uh, some people are, are saying, you know, what goals do we need to hit? Right. And in, 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 in streaming, I'm like the goal, the goal is the process, you know, like if you, if you work and, and try to improve your practice, like that's all you need to do and just keep focusing on that. And, and you'll see, you'll see results translate to students. That's such good advice. Keep following the professional learning cycle, keep supporting each other. And as you said, recognize the variability um, among teachers, among boards, among schools, that it's it's not a race and it's not, um, you know, a contest. So um, yes, as long as we're growing, that's what matters and moving forward for sure. Um, I just wanted to talk about um, the idea of literacy um, and the role of language in um, making learning accessible when we're when we're moving through the de-streaming process, does the idea of supporting the literacy components in the math curriculum um, play a big role in your conversation so far, and 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 um, really working with the language? So um, we've been focusing on language, not not so much in uh from a math specific focus um we do know that literacy is uh, a key component in the de-streaming uh process well in order for it to be successful um you know that's you know we've we've been working with um our literacy team to you know to to understand that we still have students entering high school struggling to read right mm-hmm. and yeah. um and so my colleague uh jennifer watt who works in our literacy department uh she uh is leading uh, the work on on supporting adolescent literacy and and fulfilling or or, or um uh, addressing the educational debt right that is owed to students when we when we haven't been focusing on supporting students uh reading skills um, so, so what is it that we are doing to, you know, make learning or make, make reading, uh, uh, culturally relevant and, uh, focused on students' identities and, and based on their interests, but then also what's the intervention work that needs to happen, uh, for students that really like are struggling, are struggling to, to, to make sense of words. Right. And so it, um, and, and that kind of debt is accrued over many years, right? Um, and so it's not going to be easy to to fix that problem. Um, it's going. It takes an investment in time and and money and people uh, to really get get some students to um, you know back to being you know or or getting to functional literacy. Um, so that's really the 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 focus on the literacy from our end in terms of uh, de-streaming. Um, uh, but no doubt that you know based on the variability in our board that there will be folks that are going to be really focused on like, well, how do I support uh, math specific language um, right. in, in classes? And, and I'm, I hope to learn more because um, yes. yeah, that's uh, yeah, that would be interesting to see. And I'm, I'm sure in our entire province that's going through this, there's going to be so many uh, stories about yes. uh, different ways that people are approaching it. Yes. Well, I would love to sit down with you again and, and talk about that's um, a, 
a core part of my work. I'm a cross-curricular literacy coordinator. So um, you reminded me when you said, you know, as math teachers, we're so passionate about math and we love it and we get it. Um, and it just comes so naturally um, to us, not to me, but to math teachers. <laughs> um, so even things like when we use words like formula and variable and axis, a lot of these words are Greek or Latin and um, they're normal for us and we know what they mean, but sometimes it's surprising when you stop and check for understanding, um, do the kids have the vocabulary to even talk about the the big ideas or the mm. concepts um, before they put pen to paper or um, go up to the non-permanent learning surface <laughs> or whatever they're they're using. So it's been very interesting looking at the different techniques to build that uh, foundation in order to open access to the the math learning. Oh, interesting. I think you'll have to we'll have to have a different podcast on that one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that, that sounds good. I don't know if I can talk for that long just about literacy, but I'll give it a I'm try. Sure you probably could. I, uh, yeah. yeah, my boss is probably like, yes, she can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, you've you've helped us so much and given us so many good ideas and and such good advice. Um, and always on this podcast, we end with a segment called "Just One Small Thing." So, if you could give um, some advice to teachers that are who are just sort of wrapping their minds around this and, and getting ready, what's the one small thing you would suggest for them to move forward and get the, the ball rolling for themselves and their students? For me, it would be, you know, thinking, think about how you're teaching and what you're teaching and start to just unpack what potential barriers am I putting up for students? You know, and you can try to put, uh, you know, try to center students that may have not been as successful in your classroom as you'd like and 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 begin from there. Right. So it could be like um, I, I know that when when I was teaching last year um, that, you know, how I was how I was teaching students weren't necessarily accessing, um, you know, the learning about algebra for for not for whatever reasons. Right. Um, and then so when I recognized that, then I started to search for solutions. And I think that as, as, as long, and that, that takes a little bit of, um, you know, I guess vulnerability on your own end, uh, and humility to be like, okay, like there might be things that I'm, that I'm doing or have been doing that have, that have been, um, you know, actually a barrier for people. Uh, so start to be reflective. Um, and, and I think you'll see an issue come up and a solution and, uh, an inquiry for you to like, uh, take part in. So that's, um, I, I hope everybody does that and it's exciting work. Well, that that's lovely advice, right? We can never go wrong with, um, honest reflection and, um, keeping that, that cycle going for ourselves and our students. Yeah. Jason, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I've learned so much and I know our listeners will as well. And I'm excited. I'm excited for this journey towards de-streaming in Ontario. Wonderful. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason.